It is good to have you on campus or to have you join us online uh, or later on on demand. We're in the middle of a series that we're calling Essentials. Uh, It's a, a discovery, if you would, of what the first century church in Jerusalem decided would be essential for Gentile believers, people who were not Hebrew heritage, uh, as they came to Christ, for them to be able to, to know and feel confident in their Christian faith. And so, um, in the process, we are looking at uh, the book of Acts, and particularly the 15th chapter. And today we're going to look into uh, a letter that's there in the 15th chapter. I don't know if you've ever found a letter or not that, uh, that was meaningful to you, and, and you just kind of tucked it away, and then later on found it again. Uh, during the COVID situation for the last year, my wife has decided that that is an excellent opportunity for the cleaning of the house. Anybody else got that going on at your place? Where like now, now suddenly it's, this is the day to empty the boxes. This is the time to do the repairs. This is this, I mean, because after all, you're home. Forget the fact that you're Zoom calling and that you're working, you're home, all right? And so you should do those things. So somewhere in the process, my wife came to the understanding that I should clean out my old boxes. Now, this is kind of tough for a a guy who still has the tennis shoes he got for the seventh grade basketball team uh, and and the jersey for the seventh grade football team. I mean, those are, I mean, they're valuable, all right? I, I don't know why they would be valuable to you, but to me, they're extremely valuable. And my wife is like, you should throw those away. I mean, why? I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, I know they call it goodwill, but come on. I mean, is, is there anything? I mean, it's mine. I, I want to keep it. And she was like, nope, nope, nope. You need, to, you need to get rid of those things. And so I have been decluttering, all right? And I have been going through boxes. And in the process, I ran across a letter. I ran across a letter that my father wrote to me when I was a freshman in college. And I was kind of blown away because, you see, my father passed away about 10 years ago. Um, and, and to find that letter and to read the words he wrote to me when I was an 18-year-old young man and to remember what that felt like. And to actually, in my head, hear his voice, even though physically I I haven't heard his voice in a decade. I was was quite honestly moved as I sat in the midst of the boxes, decluttering all the stuff. Suddenly there was this holy moment where I'm remembering who I am. I'm remembering the things that are essential to my faith. I'm remembering how I was raised, and I'm remembering things that my father taught to me, kind of the core issues of who I am. And as I, and as I was reading that, I, I began to think about my life now as opposed to my life when I was 18. And I began to think about who I am as, as a man, who I am as a husband, who I am as a father to my two sons and my daughter-in-law, who I am as a, as a grandfather to my granddaughter, and, and who God wants me to be. And, and, and suddenly, as I'm reading those letters from so long, that letter from so long ago and those words, I, I, began, to, I began to have this understanding of, of clarity in terms of why I do what I do. And what should be so important for me? And so as I read that letter, 
And then as I was reading this text this week, I began to realize that's exactly what this letter is. This is a letter from some people who love Jesus Christ with, their, with everything. This is a letter that actually is signed by the brother of Jesus, James. It's a, it's a letter that, that's delivered, hand-delivered by Paul and Barnabas, but has the endorsement of Peter and John and all the other disciples. And it's, it's a letter that is written to people who are trying to figure out how, how life ought to be and how to get the focus for their life. So this morning, I want to invite you to, to listen to this letter that the church in Jerusalem wrote to the Christian people in Antioch who were Gentiles, but also their intent was for it to be for all of the people who would ever come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord who were not of Jewish descent or Hebrew heritage. And so my guess is that includes most of us. So this is a letter for you. Just like I found a letter that was written to me many years ago, this is a letter written to you many years ago. Listen as I read it for you. From Acts chapter 15, verse, we'll start reading verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers and sisters with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers and sisters who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their very lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now, as you're listening to those words 2,000 years later, there's this, uh, there's this sense of saying to yourself, well, they just told them what not to eat and what not to do, and and they, they just gave them these four things. Pastor, why, why in the world would that be meaningful to me in my life at, at this point in time? Well, I would suggest to you that, that it's meaningful for all of us because, because of the four things that they chose. And, and each week, this week and the next three, we're going we're gonna to look at one of those four things that, that they chose. We're just going to take them in the order that they wrote in the letter. And, and the first one is this, this desire that they abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, one of the reasons it's important to understand these four things is because there was so much more that they could have asked them to do. 
I mean, the, the Pharisees who were the ones who had gone down to Antioch without permission from the apostles and the elders of the church and had told the people in Antioch, no, 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 if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to do this. You've got to circumcise all the men. You've got to obey all of the Old Testament laws. You've got to change your entire diet. And you've got to eat kosher, as we do, and follow all the dietary laws, all the, the temple laws, all the synagogue rules, all the Mosaic law. That's what you have to do. You have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And, and James and Peter and John and Thomas and the other disciples in, in Jerusalem were like, no, wait, wait, wait a minute, we, we didn't send them down there with that information. And, and as we've seen the last few weeks, it was Peter who stood up and said, wait a minute, God, over a decade ago, God spoke to, to Cornelius' house, and they invited me in, and he spoke to me, and, and he said, hey, what I've called clean, don't you call unclean, this was settled 10 years ago. And, and then now Paul and Barnabas have witnessed what God is doing in all of these other places, and, and they're bringing us these stories. And, and it was James, as we discovered last week, who who said, you know what? We need to respond with love. Peter said, hey, you know what? It's only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we can find salvation. We, we don't have to find all of those rules. And, and, yet, and yet, as they wrote to the church, they gave them these four things. Why in the world did they give them four things? And why did they start with this, with this concept that you, you need to abstain from food sacrificed to idols? Well, I would suggest to you this morning that that's about more than simply food. To abstain from food sacrificed to idols is, is basically to say, look, you need to center and focus on what is true and what, is, what can be held to, uh, true forever. See, the psalmist had written that the, the idols of the nations made out of wood and stone have mouths but can't speak, and ears but they can't really hear, and eyes but they can't really see. They're simply creations from the creation. And so if there's food brought to them, they don't eat that food. That food just lays there. And so what was going on in these countries where people brought food as a sacrifice to the idol that they worship is that the priest of that idol would take that food and they would either give it or consume it or sell it. But that food represented a heart that was devoted to someone else other than God. And what James and, and Peter and the brethren in, in Jerusalem are saying to the Gentiles in Antioch and to you and me is, look, if you want to know about love and you want to know about grace, then you have to understand this really simple thing that the real focus of your life has to be God. In fact, what, what you really got to know is that a Jesus focus for your life, it really depends on four words. Four words that, that will change everything for you. They're the first four words of the whole Bible. They're recorded in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Here are the four words. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The reason they said, hey, don't, don't eat this food that's been sacrificed to the idols is because they were saying that food has been devoted. It's been given to someone besides God. And you've been called by Jesus Christ to focus your life on God by focusing your life on Jesus Christ. 
Because it was Jesus who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When his disciples asked him, hey, show us the Father, he said, you've been looking at me for three years. You've traveled with me. You've seen me do miracles. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And church, Christians in the 21st century, people in the midst of a pandemic, understand that God is not surprised by the pandemic. God is not surprised at all by anything that's happened to you or me. And by the way, God is never going to abandon us. We will find our way through. And what, what the writers are saying to the people who are not from their background is, listen to me, you, you have to put God first. In the beginning, God. When you're talking about love and you're talking about grace, when you're talking about the essential things in, in your life, it all starts with this understanding that God has to have the premier, the first position in your life. And so if you want your life to come into focus, if you want to learn from, from the letters that are written in the New Testament, you've got to understand from the very first words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God, look at it created the heavens and the earth. Think about that for a minute. That means God created everything you've ever experienced. In the beginning, God, not, not humanity. There wasn't a committee. There wasn't a consensus. There wasn't someone assigned a job. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What the Scriptures teach us, what James and the elders were reminding the church in Antioch and us is that if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to live the essential things of grace and love, then we start with a focus on Jesus, and that focus reminds us that it's in the beginning God. And some of you are listening to me and saying, well, Pastor, that, that, that's pretty simple. Yeah, I know. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think about your life right now. I want you to think about every decision you make right now. I want you to think about your checkbook. I want you to think about your calendar. I want you to think about your mortgage. I want you to think about your career. I want you to think about all your dreams. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Is, is God at the center of everything I do? I, I've been blessed with two sons who are both very gifted and very intelligent men. Both of them have master's degrees. My oldest son has a PhD in modern European history. And he's a brilliant young professor at... Uh, Olivet Nazarene University over in Illinois. And when he was 15 years of age, he, uh, he took a, as a freshman in high school, he took the advanced placement test in American history, which normally you don't take till after your junior year. But his professor, his teachers in high school here in Anderson saw, saw some potential in him and asked him to take the test. We were so excited that he had been offered that opportunity to take that test. And when the results came, I just couldn't help myself. I was a bad father, okay? I opened my son's mail. Yeah, some of you are going, whoa. He was 15. He was still a minor. I could do it legally. It came to my house, my address, and I opened it. And he, his score was right there in black and white. He got a five. I was so upset. 
I, only thing I had as a frame of reference was an ACT score. And, and when I took the ACT, the best score you could get was like a 32. And they gave you five for signing your name. And when he came home from school, I'm waiting on him. I'm like, son, a five? That's, that's all you could do? I mean, I paid money for this test. And you just blew it off, and you got a five. I mean, they give you a five for signing your name. And he sat there very patiently and looking at me and says, uh, Dad, yeah, five is the best score you can get. What? 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 Yeah, 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 Dad, that's the highest score. I said, oh, oh, uh, oh, okay. I'm really proud you're my kid. You know? <laughs> and, 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 and then... He looked at me and said, you know, someday I think I want to be a history professor. And then I, I slipped back into my preacher dad mode, right? And, and, and both my sons will tell you they got this lecture made far too many times in their life growing up. Because I looked at him and said, well, now, son, I've raised you not to ask the question, what do you want to do with your life? But to ask yourself the question, what does God want to do with your life? I mean, I can be real, real preachy when I want to be. What does God want to do with your life? to the 15-year-old who's looking at me who just got a perfect score on a national test. And he stood there for just a moment, got this quizzical look on his face, and then kind of walked away. A few days later, we were driving car. I was driving. He was riding. And as we're going down the road, uh, he said, uh, or I said to him, so, son, have you thought any more about what you want to do with your life? Thought any more about this, this history professor thing? Yeah, Dad, I, I really think that's what I want to do. I said, really? I said, are you sure? And God's not calling you to be a missionary. God's not calling you to be a preacher. God's not. He looked at me and he said, Dad, why would God make me this good in history if he didn't want me to be a history professor? I about wrecked the car. 15-year-old kid just took me to church and put me at the altar and said, here, listen to this. God's in charge of my life. God gave me these gifts. God gave me these abilities. And since that day, I've, I've had to learn with both of my sons and with many people beyond. You know what? It's not about what I think you ought to do. It's about what God thinks you ought to do. And what these people are telling the people in Antioch is this. If you're eating food that's been sacrificed to idols, what you're in essence doing is you're eating something that's been devoted to another God. And what we're saying to you is put God first. And when you put God first in everything you do, then he's going to bring your life into focus. He's going to give you a clarity for the way you live because you see, a Jesus focus for your life acknowledges God's authority in every aspect of your life, in every part of your being. When you remember in the beginning, God, and you understand that the very book that starts with those words ends at the end of it in the book of Revelation, that book that is so mysterious ends with this understanding that God is the one who's in charge forever, and that if you will put God in the center of everything and not kneel at the places that make idols out of human creation, then you are understanding that, that He is in charge of every aspect of your life. That's why when they wrote, James and the brethren in Jerusalem included these words. Did you hear it when I read it earlier? For it 
it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these. See, they didn't say, oh, we took a vote and we decided. No, they said, as we prayed, as we listened to God's Spirit, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, acknowledging the power of God, acknowledging the authority of God in their life. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay any other requirements on you. We're not going to ask you to circumcise all the men. We're not going to ask you to, to eat a kosher diet. We're not going to ask you to follow all the Mosaic laws. We're not going to ask you to, to memorize the Torah. We're not, we're, not going to, we're not going to ask you to do that. What we're going to ask you to do is this. Remember, God is first, and He's in charge of everything in your life. And if you do that, He'll begin to bring you into focus. He'll begin to sit, let you see with clarity what it is that God wants to do in your life. Because you see, a Jesus focus for our life that acknowledges his authority in everything, it establishes the direction for our life. It, it establishes the direction that we're going to go with our life. And that's why, that's why this event is so important. That's why this letter is so crucial in the history of the Christian church. Because you see, it was out of this event, out of this letter, that most of the rest of the New Testament was written. The book of Romans, the, the, the letters to the church in Corinth, the, the letters to the church in Thessalonica, the, the, the church in Ephesus, the church in Philippi. All of these people got letters from the apostle Paul explaining again what this letter from the church in Jerusalem meant. It meant that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. It meant that Jesus Christ is the one who brings our life into focus. It meant that Jesus Christ is the only way to know God. And so Paul wrote, because of this letter, Paul wrote to people, people that he had met and people he had never met. In fact, there's one letter he wrote that's particularly powerful in this point. It's written to a group of people in a place called Colossae. In your New Testament, it's called Colossians. And the interesting thing about the letter to the church at Colossae is that, is that Paul had never been there. Paul had been teaching in another location, and someone from Colossae had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Paul. And so, therefore, they went back to their home, and they shared what they had learned about this God who in the beginning created everything, who was greater than all the gods of all the different religions that were in their city, and that he was one who loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son. And that out of his grace and his love, anyone who comes can be forgiven. Anyone who comes can be made whole. You can be the person you were made to be. And they shared that with people, and those people began to respond, and a church was born. And they sent a letter to Paul and said, Paul, tell us what we need to know. And in the process of telling them, Paul, Paul talks about what it means to let God establish the direction for your life through a focus on Jesus Christ. Look at it. If then you've been raised with Christ. Now, by the way, these words won't help you if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your vision will always be blurry about what your future looks like. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll create your own gods, you'll offer sacrifices to them, you will live your life in that futility. But if you have, if you've come to that place where you acknowledge in the beginning God, and God sent His one and only Son, Jesus, and Jesus died on a cross for me. 
and I am willing to follow him. If you can come to that place, then these words, these words can change your life. Because what he says is, if then you've been raised with Christ, what he's talking about is when Jesus died after being crucified, when he was raised on the third day, what he's doing is conquering sin and death and hell. And so if you and I bow the knee, if you and I cross the line of faith, if we say to Jesus Christ, be in charge of my life, now suddenly out of our death, out of our of our own despair, he raises us and he says, we've been raised with Christ, so therefore seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. What, what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, what he's saying to you and me, what, what James and the brethren said to the church in Antioch, is don't eat the food devoted to idols. Don't waste your time on the things given to the stuff that doesn't really work. You need to know there is a God. He created everything, and He deserves your devotion. He deserves your allegiance. He deserves your connection to Him, and He's the one who paid the price to show you real love and real grace. And because of that, it's essential that you get a focus for your life that focuses on Jesus. Because if you do that, if you acknowledge that power, it will it'll establish a whole trajectory for your life, a, a whole new place of living that's marked by His Spirit, marked by His presence, marked by His love, marked by His grace in you. And then when you do that, that Jesus focus does something else for you. See, it provides our life with meaning. When, when, you, when you acknowledge in the beginning God, and everywhere else God, and through everything God, when you, when you do that, then, then now suddenly that focus on Jesus, who showed us what God is really like, begins to, begins to shape and change us in, in a way that that gives us real meaning. That's what Paul said to the church in Colossae. You've died, okay? The old you is gone. And your life is now hidden with Jesus in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What he's saying is that when you make Jesus the focus of your life, and you let him have all the authority in every aspect of your life. And, and he begins to set the direction for your life. And instead of you telling God what you want him to do, you listen to God tell you what he has already created and designed for you to do. Then suddenly, hidden in him, you begin to find meaning. Connected to him, you begin to find hope. Being a part of what he's doing changes who you are. My friends, this pandemic did not surprise him. And what we're walking through does not surprise him. And yet our hope for the end of it is not in ourselves, not even in, in the good of the science, not even in the good-heartedness of humanitarianism. No. The, the hope for the world is in Jesus. And focusing your life to be who you were created to be, to, 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 to live the way you were created to live, 
to understand that the God of the universe knows you by name. Before you were even born, when you were still in your mother's womb, however you got in your mother's womb, before you were born, He knew you. And He had days for you, plans for you, love for you. And He is the only place where you can get a focus that will change your life forever. But I want to encourage you to let Jesus Christ be the focus of everything in your life.